Welcome to the Mother of All Movement podcast with me, Catherine Meadows. I'm a women's health trainer specializing in postnatal recovery and a mum to two kids myself. My aim is to inspire and educate through chats with women who are either working through their own movement journey or work to help women get stronger and recover both physically and mentally after having kids. I want to talk about what they do, how they integrate it into their family lives and essentially why. Because I believe when we share our stories and our values, we lift each other up, enabling every mother to fulfill her body's potential, gain confidence in her power and give her family the best version of her to share their lives with. So join me each week to hear these wonderful women talk about their journey. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. I am your host, Catherine Meadows, and with me today is the wonderful Michaela Thomas, who I first met when we both contributed to Motherdom magazine a few years ago. Michaela is a mother to do two little ones, a clinical psychologist, couples therapist, host of the Pause Purpose Play podcast, and the author of The Lasting Connection, this wonderful book. She helps high-striving, busy people find balance over burnout so they can live, love, and work in a more meaningful way. She is on a mission to show couples how to stay compassionate and connected even when feeling under pressure using her couples compassion courses and therapy. This is such a huge topic, especially considering what we've all been through as families in the last two years. So I'm really honored that Michaela has found time between baby feeds to chat with me today. So Michaela, welcome. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. It's a great honor to be back into podcasting again after yeah. having a little one. Yes. Yeah, so your baby is so well, obviously still being fed. So tiny still. Is that yes, right? So she's five months today. Oh, happy little five month birthday. Yes. Gosh. So you were busy during during lockdown producing a baby. So that's amazing. That's quite something yes. in itself. What an extraordinary time to have a baby. It was. And my book baby came out at the same oh, time. Yes. So I was first trimester pregnant uh, with my second child when the book came out. And I was in the, you know, in the 2021 sort of first um, quarter of the year lockdown. So bookshops wow. were closed, couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do any author signings. And, you know, even if they had been open, I'm not sure I would have managed because, no. you know, the first trimester where you oh. feel all queasy. And yes. so it was sort of it fell a little flat, but I'm very pleased with how much of a reach has had since. And you know, the book has been out for a year now. So and glancing at your copy there, I love when I see a book that has lots of tabs in it. Lo- that I love me someone's read it. Love and, it. And like I always have a notebook next to my bed with a pen because I read non-fiction books all the time so I'm always like writing little notes so I have like little notes scribbled around just making sure that I'm like oh that, that, that was an amazing line I need to Ooh, I need I to make that. note of that so <laughs> so great for well for couples but also uh, for individuals I think just in your own relationship with relationships you know your own mm-hmm. connection to relationships what they mean to you how you value them the compassion that you have around them and you know as I mentioned in in the introduction we've all been through it in the last few years so this is like ridiculously relevant now and I'm sure you didn't anticipate that when you were writing the book because this is what you do anyway but what a pertinent time for it to come out Mm. I mean everyone packed into the house 24 7 
partners working at home together whilst managing the kids, lots of health and family concerns, lives completely turned upside down. There has been a lot of pressure and communication when that happens is it's been really strange so how have you helped your clients to navigate this period in particular I think I speak for a lot of therapists and psychologists when I say that it's been really difficult because it's the first time in my whole career where I've been facing exactly the same thing as my clients every single client shown up on my caseload would have an, an experience that will be shared with me you know, normally I work with people who are stressed or anxious, you know, struggling with depression or low mood. And most of us know what it feels like to be down at times. Most of us feel anxiety at times because it's built into our nervous system. But this was a collectively shared experience. This was a collective trauma that we're all going through. And all my clients who were parents were struggling, as was I. My nursery was closed. I was struggling to meet people's psychological needs whilst I was meeting my son's emotional needs and then jogging that around with my husband and trying to figure out you know how do we rise to this challenge so I was editing the book the last sort of throes of editing it when that first lockdown happened and it was really difficult you know a lot of people have this image of sitting around writing a book as a sort of romantic uh, thing <laughs> you do almost like um I don't know, like a, an 18th century sort of um, novelist <laughs> who sits there and just glosses over words. But it wasn't. It was hard grafting. And one of the things that I spoke to my clients about at the time was that this is just hard and it's okay to focus on just surviving. And in the book, I talk a lot about the kind of the goblin version of you, as I call it, the darker sides of you, the, the parts of your personality, the parts of you that you're not really that pleased about and you might feel ashamed when it comes out when we're under pressure like the lockdown was for all of us of kind of the worst version of us will come out so then it's been a lot of focus on forgiveness on repairing those ruptures mm -hmm. saying to your spouse saying to your kids I'm sorry I lost my temper I'm sorry I shouted again and it might have been a lot of that on repeat for people that you weren't able to just be your most pleasant self because that's not what happens when we're overextended. That's not what happens when we're under pressure. And then when we're surviving hard times, that is a strength in itself, that surviving and thriving together. So one of the things I worked with couples about was then to really use that compassionate lens to make sense of why are you feeling like you're feeling? Why is your partner feeling like they're feeling? Why are they behaving the way they're behaving? Making sense of it in an understandable, empathetic way that actually, yes, well, no wonder you were feeling that way. No wonder I'm feeling this way. And what's going to be helpful rather than harmful for us to do right now? How do we step away from this constant bickering or arguing where we're point scoring or trying to figure out who's done more of the childcare on that day? And how do we move together into a team kind of collaboration? How do we work together to get through this shit? Now, little did we know that those th first three months of lockdown was going to be Last two years of on and yeah. off lockdown. So that's where it's, it's almost like, like you're a tightly coiled spring and you've been holding it together, holding it together. And now that there's an element of release, people are feeling like there's something positive on the horizon. Now I'm seeing couples almost like the coil is springing out and all the things that they held on to just to be able to get through are now starting to come out a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, because we were in uh, an emergency situation that we all felt that was going to last however long we all thought the first doctor, oh, it'll be six weeks, it'll be, uh, 
you know, this is a novelty. We've all just got to get through. And you sort of did weird and wonderful things. And then by the time we got to January last year with that third mm. lockdown that hit and that was horrendous. And it was, it turned less into an emergency and more into just kind of this is normal now. And yeah, that that was a lot to get over, I think. That was a much harder emotionally. So do you mean we all have to have a level of understanding about really how hard that was, that sort mm. of lengthening out of the whole process and self-compassion comes into that and also mm. how we want to behave, as you as you just said, you know, what what yeah. do you how do you really want to be? What partner and mother and parent do you want to be? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think there's also an element of grief in that, that over the, the, the past two years, I've heard a lot of stories of missed opportunities, lost connections, people you've not been able to see, you know, I myself have my family in Sweden, I didn't see them for a year. So that's, they didn't see me at all during my pregnancy. And they came to visit after after a year just to see my daughter, uh, who's been who was born. So I think we have to then think about actually part of compassion is sitting with that suffering tuning into it this has just been really really hard and painful and grieving that allowing yourself to cry over it and rather than saying to yourself I should be so lucky or grateful you know I haven't you know nobody I love has died I only had my wedding cancelled or I only didn't get to see people when I was on maternity leave or you know I hear a lot of those things where people are almost like muting their experiences by saying that they should be grateful and you know one of the terms that's been thrown around a lot around that is toxic positivity yeah that that you're trying to be too upbeat about it and that misses the tuning into the painful experience which can make the painful experience actually and doesn't heal doesn't process because you keep shoving it down saying to yourself i shouldn't be feeling this way because i should be grateful for what i've got so mm. For anyone listening who's whatever you are lost or whatever you're grieving, know that that's okay. It's okay to sit in the bathtub and, and sob over the fact that you didn't get the wedding of your dreams, for instance, or that yeah. your children haven't met their grandparents until they were four months old. It's okay to grieve. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of, it's almost like survivor's guilt, isn't it? That you think, you know, I haven't been directly affected. Things that have I've been affected by have been very as we like to call them, first world problems. You know, yes. there's been nothing, I haven't had relatives directly being extremely sick or, or dying. If anybody has had COVID, you've kind of like, it's been very inconvenient. But apart from that, that's it. I mean, I, our family are definitely in one of those. We've had COVID. It wasn't too much. Our kids just hated being at home. We all really, really struggled with that. That yeah. both my husband and I trying to manage our businesses at home and flipping everything around and trying to work out how to keep them going. And and yet you knew you weren't the worst affected person. So you definitely yeah. spent a lot of time, like you say, you know, very much dismissing things. And I yeah. and and like you, I've had similar conversations with my clients saying it's all right to just be feel really upset or sad about just the normal stuff not being there it's okay to be like that you don't have to you don't only get a right to feel upset if something dramatic is gonna has happened because this is huge but now now we're coming to kind of you know what might be the return to normal whatever that is because we have all been changed by this but Mm -hmm. we're all trying to work out what we take away 
from life in lockdown and what we're happy to ditch. We've been changed by this whole experience. So what's your advice for approaching the new normal in a, a more balanced way? Mm. It's almost the similarities there between moving forward from COVID and lockdowns and moving forward from when you've had a baby. There is no bouncing back. There is no, you know, reclaiming who you were exactly before you had a baby. There are elements of that that you want to keep. There are elements of your identity that makes you feel like yourself. Mm. And there will be the same here, that there are elements of who you were before lockdowns, before COVID happened, that you would like to sort of rediscover. But it's still a moving forward. There's still a next chapter. There's not, you know, I'll go back to how it was before all of this happened because you can't unwrite history. You can't remove this. And the same thing happens when we go into matrescence, when we go into motherhood and that how that shapes us. That we can't just undo that and, and live our lives as if we hadn't had the children. Mm. It's not possible. We have to integrate this. And one of the things I, well, I heard a lot of when I ran a workshop on sort of lessons of from 2020, uh, and I could have done exactly the same workshop at the end of this past year. I just had too, too young of a baby to do it. But people were saying that there was a real mix of blessings and curses here. Some people were saying, much like you and, and I experienced as well, that being on top of each other 24-7 was horrible and the kids were whining and, you know, more arguments than they've ever had. But also realizing that actually the long commute they were having to work, yeah. they didn't enjoy that, you know, maybe yeah. discovering more flexible working options, their employer being more positive towards them working from home part of the time so that they could see the kids more. That is living life more in line with your values, doing what really matters to you, what's important to you, what makes you feel like life has meaning. And that's the biggest thing I've been hearing from my clients, that they just feel, but I can't keep running this rat race anymore. I just want things to be different. I enjoyed being able to go for a walk in the middle of the day because I was working from yes. home. You know, so, you know, so that's your forte, you know, the, how we bring in movement in, into our everyday lives. There's been a lot of things written around how people have been very stationary, because we have been when we're yeah. working from home and we're cutting out our you know, daily steps as part of our commute. But we also equally have seen people who've discovered nature in a way that they never did when they were working in sort of concrete jungles. So I think the big thing to remember is to tune into what's important to you, what's, mm. what's valuable to your life, what adds meaning and what is just more extra fluff that you could just do without. Mm. You know, could you pursue your career while still working from home a little bit? Could you change your working hours if you really felt that you throughout this experience of 2020, 2021, have missed your kids and you want to be more present in their lives. A lot of people are doing those kind of quite soul-searching discoveries. And the, the best analogy I can think of it is if you remember from the Friends uh, episode, you know, the show Friends, yeah. where they're trying to shift a sofa up a very narrow <laughs> staircase. What and it's, it you know, there's stress. What's yeah, there's Pivot. 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 <laughs> so I think that word comes up for me a lot when you're kind of thinking, here we are, nobody's enjoying pushing this bloody sofa up the yeah. stairs. But we have to get it up there. If it's going to be important to us and we want that to be in mm. our flat, then how do we pivot? How do we do hard things in the face of challenge by pivoting, by changing, by being flexible? We can't keep just saying, no, I don't like this sofa. I want a different sofa. No, this rigid. is the sofa you're yeah. getting up. Like you're being rigid about that. Mm. So 
how do we pivot and also how do we have conversations for the other people helping us to lift the heavy burden <laughs> without wanting to kill them in the process so yeah. anyone listening go and watch that pivot scene and you'll oh see God, what I mean you're absolutely right that's so you're so right that is completely it it's so interesting because I, I feel like I have two different responses from clients about how they've been with movement wise, like like exactly like you said, I've either had clients who really benefited from just commuting because they did lots of natural movement through their like rushing to the train, going up and down steps really quickly and commuting around. They're sort of standing on the tube and having to wobble around and things and becoming more sedentary has has really affected the way their their body feels their back hurts they're sort of they're not getting that alternative movement they're sort of getting less mobile because their body's being less challenged but then I've got lots of clients who have finally been able to find the space to move in their day by doing all of the new online stuff that has come out because yeah. of all the pivoting that all the trainers and coaches and fitness yeah. people and Pilates teachers and all the rest of it have had to do. So they've suddenly found this whole new world and it's worked for them. Yeah. And now they're like, well, actually, I don't really want to go back into a commuting situation because now I'm going to have to let go of doing that. And how's that going to work? But I also think, you know, lots of employers have had to learn to trust their employees much more. They've realized the, the value of giving people some flexible working. And I mean, it didn't need to take a pandemic in order to do that, mm. but unfortunately it did. But it did. And it means now that there's, hopefully we can negotiate, have difficult, different conversations about, like you said, what's important. And, and yeah. if some of the stuff that you've been doing in lockdown has been important to you, then that's something to, I think, hopefully we have a bit more confidence about bringing into real uh, normal life as, mm. as we continue onwards. I hope so, because definitely the, the parents of young children have been the biggest losers in, in mm. the pandemic, you know, trying to juggle everything. And especially women who've then been sort of loaded with more than the fair share of childcare, even when both parents have worked full time. Statistically speaking, the women have been doing more of the childcare per week. So we're then thinking about that pressure that it sits on women, which is one of the most things, but the things I'm most passionate about is, is looking at the different external pressures that are weighing on women and how we meet that with our own internal pressure, you know, high yeah. standards, unrealistic goals that we set for ourselves and then meeting it with an inner critical voice that tells us we're not good enough, that it won't, it won't work. You know, other people will judge, mm. comparing ourselves with other people, mm. constantly holding ourselves back from, from doing things. So I think those two paradigms together, like the pressure coming from within them from, from outside of you has made it very difficult for women over the past two years. So a lot of people are on the brink of burnout or are effectively burnt out with, with very physical symptoms of that, very fatigued, exhausted you know we've been talking about how we need to find a new word for the level of exhaustion people have been feeling after lockdown after lockdown after lockdown it's almost like you're becoming despondent like, I can't even care anymore I've run out of I've run out of fucks to give basically but a lot of people feel that way that just there's an indifference that I can't muster anything now and that can have an impact both on your joy but also in your capacity to grieve so we're almost like numbing and that can be a very yeah. common trauma response where we feel numb and almost removed from the whole situation detached from what's happening because I, I can't care anymore it's just too much and so how what's the process by which we start to turn that around to to start to 
become more connected back into life? Mm. I think connected is an important word because one of the biggest factors of depression is disconnection mm. where we don't feel connected to, to life anymore. We don't feel like we're part of it. We don't feel like we have authority or ownership or control of our life situation. We can then feel a sense of learned hopelessness. This what's the point in trying. Yeah. So I guess sort of easing back into it is to thinking about what can you control in a situation where so many things are uncertain and uncontrollable, what can you take ownership of? What can you control? And that can be as little as getting up in the morning and putting clothes on that are, you know, presentable. You know, we've all been in the the yoga trousers. Let's let's get real about that. But it can make a difference to how we feel in our mood. Making your bed so that you won't get back into it during the day. Opening the blinds, uh, making sure that you pick you know the brightest part of the day and going around the block for for a little walk to get some of that uh, natural daylight in so mm. this is what we're talking about when we feel people feel depressed and obviously you don't have to have clinical depression to struggle with your mood at times all of us have felt low at times when we were allowed to only go out for you know one outing a day and you know basically caged animals so this is not natural for humans to live like this. We thrive off connection with other people. We are tribal. We want to be in community. So reconnecting with your community, you know, is there a friend that you haven't seen for a while? And it now feels like a big ask to go and see them, but start before you feel ready. Go and see them, even though it doesn't feel like you're ready. You know, I've got a friend. before you feel ready. Yes, yeah. you're right. And that, I yeah. think that's really significant because otherwise we could spend our whole time thinking, I don't know. I mean, it just feels really hard. And we've all become really used to sort of not really arranging anything. Yes. I, I, I have this a lot with people who are like, we should meet up for the weekend. And normally that would have been like, yeah, OK, which date should we do? Even if it's three months in advance, you're like right on it, you know. And now you're like, I don't know. I mean, that just seems a bit that's really hard work, isn't it? Planning. Yeah. But but yes, I think that start before you feel ready. That's that's a, an excellent way of thinking of just just go for it just do it yeah and you'll become ready as you take those steps as you move through that process yes which is what we know from the research around low mood and motivation that actually motivation doesn't tend to come from nowhere magically it comes from taking action so when Mm. often we think well I'll do it when I feel like it Mm. and if you wait for the feeling to come the feeling of wanting to do it this is very true for exercise as well then you'll wait for a very long time. Whereas if you take action and you just do it, and that's obviously the Nike slogan is there for a reason. So if you just do it, then you will feel an urge to continue to do it. It's almost like law of physics, that what is in movement will continue to be in mm-hmm. movement. Yeah. And that is you know, perpetuated because you're just you're doing something. And a lot of people I work with who are highly perfectionistic don't start because they they have to take that first step as a massive major leap. Yeah. And that feels overwhelming and daunting. And I, I, I can't get started. So I procrastinate and I put it off and I put it off, tell myself it won't work because I've set the bar so high that it's impossible to actually reach it. Yeah. Whereas if you start before you're ready with something very small and tangible, like I'm just today, I'm just going to get up and make my bed. Today I'm going to go up and, you know, I'll, when I take the bins out, I'll walk around the block as well. You know, making it really tangible and really small. Mm. Once you've done that, it's more likely that you keep going. Hi, Movement fans. Sorry to interrupt your listening today. I hope you're enjoying the episode. 
If you are, I would love it if you could leave a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts right now. If you're on your mobile on the app, click on the icon with this podcast image, scroll right to the bottom where you see the ratings and reviews section, tap the number of stars you want to give. <clears throat> My suggestion would be five. And then click the write a review link at the bottom. It literally takes one minute and makes a huge difference in how iTunes shows this podcast to others who are searching amongst all the thousands of brilliant shows that there are out there. Thank you so much for choosing this podcast and taking the time to review. It really does mean the world to me and I am hugely grateful. Okay, let's get on with the show. Yeah, and the, and you mentioned perfectionism there, and I feel like that's something that a lot of us have either had to let go of, um, of that struggle for, for perfectionism, or some have struggled with needing to let that go and not being able to, you know, if you're somebody who's sort of quite highly driven, you you have a real process about your day, you're sort of everything starts with some drive, everything has to happen within a time schedule. And then lockdown just completely blew that apart. And it was hard to be still striving for perfection when things were just not happening. You're, everyone was feeling down and nothing was kind of really working right and everything just felt hard. So is that how you help your clients who tend towards perfectionism? Because it's definitely something that comes up a lot in motherhood as well. It does. For many um, reasons. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and perfectionism is something that can affect lots of different domains in your life. And you can have multiple domains that are affected or just the one. So some people tell me that, well, I'm not a perfectionist because my house is a tip yeah. and it's not tidy. But then you look at how they approach their work and they might be working late or they might be taking a very long time to send something off, maybe checking an email for spelling mistakes you know, several times before they feel confident to send it. Or they're actually the, the polar opposite of the overperformer and overworker, which is someone who holds themselves back. The serial procrastinator, someone who has a lot of bright ideas and, you know, that inner sort of spark, the shining, shining light that they have, and they just don't let the world see it because they are so worried about failure and not being good enough that they hold themselves back from, from, from letting it out in the world. So you might then see people who you think, well, I'm not achieved anything. I'm not doing anything. I'm almost like paralyzed. Uh, sometimes we call it analysis paralysis. Yeah. And you can definitely see that coming up through these different lockdowns you know the classic banana bread right use the banana bread example <laughs> everyone was seeing recipes of what you know what to be baking to live their best life in lockdown and that was very provoking and we, we saw it also for parents to get lots of tips on how to cope with their children as if they were now preschool teachers not parents oh, yeah. And right? amazing so crafty things that we're supposed to create in order to uh, broaden our kids' um, learning around, you know, whatever subject it was that they were doing. And oh, yes, my goodness. absolutely. So that on top yeah. of Zoom learning from school or, yeah. you know, trying to be someone's preschool teacher when they're not able to go to nursery to provide them with rich sensory perfect experiences preferably in a way that's sort of in muted color tones you can put on Instagram I'm being sort of tongue-in-cheek here but this pressure to be perfect so that you can post it for other people to see is a part of of perfectionism that you're thinking that almost like I live, have to live this highlight reel instead of living my actual life and life is full of ups and downs and everyone's life is 
But when we get caught up in the, in the perfectionist trap, we, we unfairly compare upwards to other people. Yes. So other people are more successful, more pretty, thinner, richer, whatever it is. You, you, you compare yourself upwards and thinking that you are then failing. But we don't tend to compare ourselves downwards where we might then see that everyone is on a continuum. And for someone to be above average, someone has to be below average. Yes. Someone has to be average because that's how law of averages work. Yeah. And that feels in today's society unacceptable to be average or below average doesn't feel like it's okay. That feels like failure. Mm. And that's why this, this you know, constant pursuit of perfection is so dangerous because you can never get there. You can never attain perfection. You can, it's the striving towards that that can be exhausting and leading you towards burnout. And you mm. think about then what happens when your normal coping systems are taken away from you. So maybe you're a high achiever who worked, you know, worked hard, partied hard or whatever, play hard. Um, so you used your weekends to let off steam or to go on weekend trips to decompress or to book a spa experience so that you can cope with your stress levels. All of that was stripped away. Mm. You couldn't go places. Mm. And if you're a parent, then your kids were on top of you. So there was never any, any space to have respite. And if we then don't lower our standards to make them realistic, given the situation we're in, we're yes. setting ourselves up for burnout. Yes. And uh, yeah, like you say, there are many people who are very much on burnout or, or on the edge of it. So the, the, I think one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was about this sort of when we're looking at our image of ourselves, but you also mentioned that sort of comparison, particularly around social media and things. We talk about self-worth and self-esteem in a few different ways, but there's also, you know, bringing in self-compassion and uh, how important that is. And that's something, an area that I've been getting really interested in recently, reading Kristen Neff's work mm. and her also her new book, Fierce Self-Compassion which is fantastic for women. It's written specifically for women. So, so that's why it's a, a brilliant book to be reading right now. And, and it's an area that I've been really thinking about quite a lot, particularly because around that comparison and why we do things that only benefit ourselves and what self-worth and self-esteem, that sort of nuance between the two. And I know it's a really tricky area for people to, for all of us to get our heads around, but can you expand a little bit more on your interpretation of that mm. and how we can understand it a little bit better? I think it's really important to illustrate that there are, are academic distinctions and definitions in research that can be really complicated to kind of tease apart. And for the lay person, for the average person in the, living with their self-esteem or their self-worth or their self-compassion, they won't really care about how we define them differently. So what it means for you when you live in your life is that if you're focusing just on self-esteem, as in I feel constantly feel good about who I am, I feel like I am achieving or that I am uh, you know, a confident person or I'm the best parent I can be, what then happens when you fail? What happens when you make a mistake, which inevitably you will, because being human means being imperfect, means making mistakes. That's part of our common humanity that connects all of us together in the world, that we all are imperfect. When we're just constantly thinking about confidence and self-esteem that, you know, I'm, I always have to look good on social media or I always have to present the perfect picture at work, etc. Then when we make mistakes, we can't handle it. We crumble 
it's like a house house of cards and and Kristen Neff's research is obviously focused around that of how we get more strength by leaning on self-compassion which is a way of speaking to yourself kindly regardless of what's happening to you mm. so when you make that mistake talking to yourself as you would talk to you to someone you love you know you wouldn't have a go at a two-year-old for falling over or making a mistake spilling their drink the way you would talk to yourself when you are doing that pitch and you think it's not gone perfectly like you wanted it to and I first came about thinking about self-compassion many many years ago when I specialized in treating anxiety and depression and self-esteem and everything that's linked to those kind of primary mental mental health uh, problems when I had a client who told me the inner language he had about having put his sock on backwards I'm not going to say it because it was used used a c word he called himself the c word for having put his sock on backwards okay and at that point I realized it's not enough to just look at self-esteem we also have to think about how we soften that internal language and that's the the work of Paul Gilbert who's the founder of compassion focused therapy who's done a lot of work on that in the UK also got some excellent books out that you can look at. Laura Silberstone Turch, who also does a lot of work around how you can treat yourself more kindly. So I guess when we think about self-worth and self-compassion, I, I tell clients to act as if you are worthwhile. Because mm. if you are, if that was to be true, I mean, you don't have to buy it, you don't have to believe it. If it was true that you were worthwhile, would you brush your teeth twice a day? Yeah, because I matter. So I probably would, you know, Mm. keep good dental hygiene. Would you move your body once in a while? Yeah, I probably would do because that's really good and healthy for me. You know, Mm. all the other episodes on your podcast will illustrate why movement is helpful. Would I feed my body good nutrients? Yes, I would. I would nourish myself because I matter and my physical health and my mental health matters. Mm. So we think about it that way, that can be a way into it. So what would I do to myself today? What would I do for myself today to show up for myself if I mattered too? And that's a really nice way of coming into self-compassion. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think that that self-worth, it, the, the thing that I love about that in particular is self-worth and, and thinking about whether or not you're you're worth something you're worthwhile means that you're moving or you're nourishing yourself or you're going to bed at the right time or you're doing things that you that feel good and um, uh, feel good to you and, and benefit your body and it doesn't matter what they are and what you've achieved by doing them and it doesn't matter whether it's the biggest workout or you've lifted or you've run furthest or you've you know any of the like standard doesn't matter it's about doing that thing gives you reminds you it's like giving yourself a little hug or a pat on the back and kind of going yeah great that's because you deserve that like it just like you would do if you were talking to a friend like you said but I think it changes it from I can run a 5k in under half an hour to I went out for a run because it felt great and that's my body for doing something amazing and I think I think that change in language in our internal language makes so much difference to the reason why you then go and do it again and then continue doing it regularly over and over again forever and ever or for as long as you want to keep on doing that thing and then you change on something else because regular slotting it into a habit that becomes regular is something that it shows that you're worthwhile making that habit change 
Yes. Rather than, oh, I, well, I've, I've hit my 5k PB now I'm done because you can always then say that you've done that fastest 5k and if you ever drop below that then your self-esteem starts to dwindle just a little bit so so thank you for explaining that because I think it's a really really nice way of helping people to see the way that we can change the internal language and what power that gives us by by doing that so can you talk a little bit more about valued living now because particularly around how we communicate with each other which is obviously your uh, relationship couples therapy and about what's important to us because Mm. I'm thinking here about clients I work with who I want to encourage to make quality time to move rather than kind of just shoving it into kind of the dregs of the day or the week when they can and by slotting in half an hour every day or every other day whatever they they feel like themselves can manage it often requires other people Mm. supporting them in order to do it so they're not just trying to hide away and just do it whenever they can often it'll be like I'm this is really important to me I'm going to do this so how do we talk to each other about the things that are important to us and 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 that sort of valued living area Mm. well I think we have to start with tuning into how we talk to ourselves first to be able to communicate that you know that level of importance to another person so why does this matter to me and one helpful distinction is to think about the difference between values and goals that you know like you said the 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 5k personal best could be a goal you know I want to be able to run 5k in however many minutes you think it's it's good enough quote unquote Mm -hmm. and that's where it gets tricky because Having that kind of goal-based living can mean that you, like you said, that you feel like you're falling short when you don't hit that target. And what's going to happen if you've had long COVID or if you had a common cold then you can't actually for that week run very well or your, your baby has woken up five, 15 times in the night as they do. And then you can't, you know, your body feels weak and you don't feel strong. And that's what happens. We have normal fluctuations in our mood, in our strength, in everything. If you're constantly putting your goals on a trajectory where you can only go up, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Whereas if you're thinking about a values-based life, which is thinking about who you want to be as a person. So when we use the example of running there to make it clear, rather than thinking, I will in three months time, I will run 5K in 25 minutes. I don't know, is that fast? Yeah, <laughs> that yeah it's fast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> clearly you hear how many 5Ks I run, where I, fo- I don't focus on the time, do I? Exactly. Um, let's use the example of swimming a sec, because I actually swim and I enjoy okay. that. So rather than saying, I need to be able to run, uh, swim one length in under a minute, it's more important about, I want to be able to be in the water, moving my body, feeling the, the pressure of the water kind of mm. moving away, or maybe sort of, I want to be the kind of person who leisurely goes for a swim and feels active, mm. right? So the kind of person who is active or the kind of person who is relaxed, because it might be that after your swim, you go and sit in the steam room for five minutes doing some deep breathing. Who will I be as a person when I return back home from the gym, having done that swim? Who will I be as a parent? I'm much calmer, I'm much more connected, much more joyful when I've squeezed in my swim. And that swim, that way I'm returning from the swim, doesn't matter if I swim that length in 45 seconds, one minute, one minute and a half. It doesn't matter because it's about who I become when I've topped myself up with that swim. And that way of living in life that's based on richness, based on meaning, is much more fulfilling for you. And you can 
that can then ripple out in other domains of your life as well. So when I make space for exercise in a way that's not stressful, you know, the picture you're painting mm-hmm. of the, the movement we get around the commute, like legging up the yeah. escalators rather than standing still on the right, that is not necessarily joy of movement. That might be steps that they've got in, yeah. but it's still doing a stress response, mm-hmm. right? So it's really important to keep in mind that when we do exercise because we want to get rid of something that might be getting rid of feelings and thoughts about your body like my body is so disgusting and fat I need to run to to lose weight Mm. that gives a stress response in the body because you talk to yourself in a self-critical way so even when you've gone on your 5k and you hit your personal best if you return home haven't had that internal language it actually impairs some of the positive impacts of your exercise because you're not hitting your dopamine levels, not hitting the endorphins in the same way yeah. as if you t- talk to yourself like, oh, I love the wind on my face when I run or I love the feeling of the water moving around me when I'm just kind of, you can see, you can see how sort of I love it. Does that make sense? That when we are talking to ourselves unkindly, put unrealistic standards and just focus on hitting a goal, we can then become more threat focused. I need mm. to get rid of this threat. This threat is my disgusting body or my failure to run fast enough. I need to do things to get rid of the threat. That's very different to I move towards meaning and value and purpose, which could be I love being so free when I go on my runs. I can go up in Bluebell Woods and just feeling the, the experience itself, the joy of that then we're living a values-based life and we get dopamine, which is naturally an uplifter. Yes, I love that. And and do you make a distinction with people about shorter-term values and, and longer-term ones? Because often I will talk to my clients, particularly the postnatal clients, because I work with women with incontinence. I will talk to them about the sort of long-term things that they want that they highly value so not not something that okay next week you want to you know it's going to feel great that you're moving or something like that whilst those are short-term values I I I often focus on the the long-term ones so that we can give them a navigatable path towards Mm -hmm. that is that something that you make a distinction between as well Yes. And I think knowing that as humans, we are short term focused. This is why we eat the cake and then regret it later. And why it's really hard to say, let's not buy the cake because short term gain is so powerful, even if there's long term pain. Mm -hmm. The hardest part of behavior change is swapping those around Mm -hmm. so that you may sometimes have short term pain by sitting with these uncomfortable thoughts and feelings about your body, for instance, Mm -hmm. to get long term gain of living a more valued valued life you know living a more meaningful life so i'm not talking about physical pain where you know you're pushing against your boundaries and not respecting your body i don't mean that i mean the pain of what shows up for you when you try to do something that feels scary Mm -hmm. so women with incontinence there might be that there's a lot of fear-based kind of avoidance you know Mm -hmm. i I can't go to these places there's maybe there's no toilet what if I won't make it in time? And then they start to shrink their life and the exactly. life gets smaller and smaller and smaller. They say no to things that would have otherwise given them a positive experience, more joy. Yeah. So that can be translated into anything really where we have fear and we yes. start to avoid and then our life gets smaller. So then to think about long-term, you know, you said it was the long-term vision. That's almost like a compass. I can, I can set the compass this direction. This is the direction of travel I want to go in. 
and it's not about arriving at that destination it's about the journey of how you travel to that point how do I take each step in that direction or where the compass is pointing what would that look like because if we didn't have the small steps it'd be utterly overwhelming and people wouldn't do it mm. so the direction of travel might be I want to be able to have you know the freedom to spend time with my friends I want to be sociable I want to be outgoing those are values right Whereas yeah. the goals might be accept the next invitation to go for coffee with a friend, even yeah. if I'm not sure about the toilet situation. Right. Yeah. So those steps can still be important. I'm not saying goals are bad. I'm saying that if they're linked to our values, there can be the step by step by step on how we travel. Yeah. And it might be in that moment you go out to see your friend. What would it, what would a sociable, outgoing, relaxed, free person do when they're sitting there? They might be listening intently to to her talking or might be sharing your own experiences so then we can always think about who do I want to be and how do I show up to go in the direction of that travel that I want to go in rather than thinking that the destination is the point it's not yeah yeah and I think I I find encouraging people to focus on the values really it really can be transformative in comparison to right how much do you want to lose how how much weight do you want to lose or you know what do you really want to gain from this year or what goals do you have or something like that because it sort of softens the edges of everything and allows it to be something that that's very specific and unique into your life so it means so much more you know when somebody often when somebody has a goals it, it might be something that somebody else has said or somebody else has has done and so the goal is to do what they think they should do because somebody else has done it and and the value becomes something that oh actually why do I want to do that or do I want to do that in a slightly different way because that's what would mean more to me and that's what connects more with me and I I find that that values are so 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 critical in in that way because Mm. it really helps us to sort of set it in much more much more thoroughly and that can help us to us. see also what things are just those shoulds the the masturbation you know the musts and shoulds <laughs> that we put ourselves this is not something i coined the masturbation is something that was a research term around perfectionism decades ago that actually looking at how when people are that high striving uh, and focus on perfection is that they get really caught up in the must and the should and that is the mm. bit that takes you away from living a free life takes you away from living the, the valued life that you want to live so actually what would it look like for me if you think as a parent I should spend all my time with my child well, then what happens if you feel like but I want to go I want to go on a run or I want to go swimming as a parent to a new baby I should be spending all my time with my new baby well I want to go and have a swim then I feel like I'm breaking the should and I feel like I'm failing whereas if you think as a new parent I value being connected to my baby and providing them with a rich strong connected attachment so I'm going to spend a lot of time with my child there's then space to go for in my case for a couple of swims a week and I can still do all of that I'm not failing in those because I put in the swim and this is where we think about flexibility or psychological flexibility Mm -hmm. rather than rigid rules so we can think about designing a life that fits for you rather than you know comparing to 100 other women who are mothers who might have very different ideas of what that life would look like and Mm -hmm. that is the beauty of it that you can design it to fit for you rather than 
having all of these shoulds and must dictate how you want to be as a parent. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. Michaela, thank you so much for your time. I know it's very precious. So it's generous <laughs> of you, so generous of you to give it up. Thank you. Your wonderful book, The Lasting Connection, which I've already recommended to friends already, um, is out now. The link is in the show notes. Uh, for that with lots of other information for connecting with Michaela like she's mentioned her couples courses and one-to-one therapy and the the Thomas connection her group that's all on there so thank you so much again for being here for being you and for being here today thank you thank you so much for having me it's been a right joy to speak to you good